morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have reached down to us. And you allowed us the privilege by your grace to be on your side. Father, thank you for the faith you've given us, for the call you've put on our lives. And that we can stand up in this dark world and proclaim that we are on the Lord's side. We are thine. And now, Father, we ask that you would bless our time in the word. Thank you for the testimonies that were shared. And may we, our hearts be encouraged by them. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you'll take your Bibles with me, let us turn to 1 Peter tonight, chapter 4. 1 Peter 4 and our, our testimony time. Uh, uh, boy, we, uh, we used up uh, a bit of time for that, which was so wonderful. So our study is going to be a little shorter, but I think that was the most important thing to be able to, to share uh, one with another like we were doing. So we're going to look at six verses here tonight. First Peter, we've arrived at chapter 4 of our study we called Alien Life. And again, that, uh, Peter used that phrase in the first verse when he referred to the, his readers as aliens, as foreigners who were spread abroad. And he was sending a letter out to all the churches, all the believers who were under persecution. It was a great time of persecution in the church. And some were falling away, some were giving up, some were weakening and, uh, and, and falling back into the world because uh, they couldn't stand the heat of the persecution. And so he's trying to encourage the saints to keep on keeping on. And so we come to chapter 4. And uh, let's look what Peter has to say. uh, We'll read verses 1 and 2 together here. Peter writes, therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Well, Peter, as he begin, we begin chapter 4, he calls us to remember Christ and his suffering. Notice he says there, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, so that is the premise for what he is about to speak on, to write on. Since Christ suffered for us, we must remember that what did Jesus do for us? What suffering and pain did he experience on our behalf? He suffered in the flesh. Since he did suffer in the flesh, what are we to do? Paul, uh, uh, Peter is now going to encourage us, encourage the saints who are under persecution, To do what? Arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Or if you have the King James Version, it says the same mind. It also is translated as attitude. So purpose or attitude. But I like the word mind here. To have the same mind. 
that, that he, he's talking about arming yourselves also with the same mind or purpose. That word in the Greek, arm, is used of the ancient uh, warrior who would arm himself, the soldier who would carry, wear his armor and have uh, and be given his weapons so he was armed you know and uh you know we have uh we have those who are you know for self-defense at home some of you may be armed at home some uh, we have some that you know have the license to carry and so they they are armed legally for for self-defense protection but here Peter is telling us to be armed in a different way, not in a physical way so that we are ready to, you know, to shoot our enemies, not with a a physical gun or physical weapons. But here he is talking about arming ourselves with the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ. And of course, we can see this back as the Apostle Paul wrote of it in Philippians. So if you will turn with me here back to this familiar passage in Philippians chapter 2. If you turn to Philippians chapter 2 with me, here we see Paul is basically saying the same thing to the believers in the church at Philippi. Philippians 2, and we'll pick it up at verse 5. Have this attitude or this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, having the mind of Christ, who, and so now he goes on to explain what that mindset is, what it was in our Lord Jesus Christ, what that attitude, when he's talking about the mindset, he's talking about our attitudes, uh, our purpose, our mind, what what our minds are set on, and the way we think. He goes on concerning Christ, verse 6. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. And we heard that tonight as Brother Dave brought that up to us the form of a bond jesus emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man he what what did he do he humbled himself how did he humble himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. Now, just as a side note, uh, verse 7 there, again, just as a reminder, and many of you know this, where it says in verse 7, he he emptied himself there. That word emptied does not refer to uh, his emptying himself of his deity when he became human. You know, some, some have taken that to say, well, see here, Jesus was laid aside his deity when he came to earth because it says he emptied himself. 
and became the form, of, you know, being in the form of a bondservant, made in the likeness of men. But no, that word in the Greek literally means just uh, speaking of himself, of, of choosing not to use his, his glory to reveal his glory like he was in heaven. So in other words, he allowed himself, the Lord Jesus allowed himself to be veiled in flesh. Remember that, that uh, Christmas carol speaks of being veiled in flesh. And Jesus was veiled in flesh, so they could not see who he really was. And that was the Son of God, creator of the universe, become, humbling himself so much that he was willing to, to take on a body like you and I and humble himself to come and hide his glory. Not lay aside his deity, but... But he chose not to use his power, but he only he chose to use, he used his power according to the Father's will. And so we have Jesus Christ here presented to us by Paul. But again, he points out that Jesus came in the form of a bondservant. So who is he a bondservant to? Of course, God the Father. He was God, God the Father. And who was he coming also to serve? To serve you and I. So he, he obeyed the Father. His attitude was, his, the mindset of Christ was to humble himself, verse 8. He humbled himself by becoming what? Obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And what Peter is saying back, so let's go back real quick to 1 Peter, if you'll turn back with me. Peter is basically saying the same thing here in verse 1. He's telling the, the persecuted saint, he's, he, he's trying to encourage them, saying, the way you will get through persecution and face persecution without giving up without surrendering or turning away and running is if you arm yourselves with the mind of Christ. And oh, if, if I would, you know, that's, I think that's the greatest lesson to, to continue to learn is Lord, give me the mind of Christ, your son, so that when I face any trials, any circumstances, anything that bewilders me and gets me to a place where I don't understand, Lord, what you're doing, why you've allowed this. You know, I think of Tom Taylor, you know, our brother in Christ, who is, you know, home now recovering after that accident. And again, as I mentioned, and it's in the bulletin, what happened to him, that he was just sitting in his office in his auction house at the table when suddenly the uh, a U-Haul came crashing through the, the, the wall and it was backing up because the driver was backing up to pick some stuff up, uh, some items at the auction house. And he, instead of pushing on when he was getting close to the door, instead of pushing on the brake, he pushed the accelerator by accident all the way. And zoom, he went in, hit Tom who was at the table shoved Tom back against the other side of the building and the wall, crashed through the office, and Tom was laying there. And what 
the, there are so many miracles involved in this incident, as we talked about, um, that the table he was sitting at, it was a round table, uh, that actually became, God used it as a shield so that it flipped up and protected his, bo- his body. So his injuries were from the chin up. In fact, the, injury, the table came up to here, so his mouth was not injured. He didn't lose any teeth, but from here up, everything was smashed. The orbital bones, the cheekbones, the nose, all had to be reconstructed. And so here he is and <clears throat> lying in the hospital bed there. And as I came to see him, um, you know, he couldn't understand it all. It was, it was, you know, the world will call it a freak accident. But he knew that God had allowed it. And he continually would tell me, God has a plan in all this. God is, who in their right mind would say God has a plan in this? Most would be, and even believers would be sometimes shaking their fist at God, get angry at God. God, why would you do this to me? Why would you allow this to happen to me? Where were you? And so, hearts turn bitter towards the Lord. It's so easy for us to take our circumstances and allow it to to affect our minds and and our emotions. But, But Tom would not allow himself to go there. And I think it's because Tom was, God has been working in his life. And, and, and he was, the way he was viewing this whole thing uh, was the way you would look at it if you had the mind of Christ. Now, this wasn't persecution, but it was a similar kind of, of, of affliction, you know, a furnace of affliction that he had to, he had to deal with and is still dealing with. And Peter is trying to say to us, as Paul did, the way we will face the world when they come at us is if I am willing to humble myself and allow myself to suffer as Christ suffered. When I look at what he did for me, can I not at least suffer in a small way for him the way he suffered for me? Can I humble myself and so that if I have the mindset that Lord Jesus, uh, I'm your bondservant, I'm your slave, therefore you can do whatever you want with me and I know that because they hated you, they will hate me and therefore I must expect opposition and, and expect uh, persecution from this world outside that hates Christ. They hate him, as Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. And so this is what he's talking about. This, this arming yourselves with the same purpose, the same mindset. And then we go on in verse 1. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now there are some, again, some verses in here that uh, when you, we look at them, uh, it, those are some of the verses that scholars debate over again okay because they're kind of difficult to understand the way they are written here especially in verse one where it says he who has suffered in his in the flesh or in the body is 
done with sin. And again, this is one of the most debated texts texts in First Peter. So you ask the question, well, who is the he who suffered? And in what way is he, quote, done with sin? Well, here basically, Peter, uh, we need to, to look at this, the end of verse 1, in context with verse 2. Look at verse 2. He then goes on and says, So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. So who's he talking about here? If, if verse 2, he can only be talking about believers. So as to live the rest of the, uh, the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Who can do that? Only believers, only you and I, Christians. Therefore, if we take that as he's talking about believers and we move back up to verse 1, the end of verse 1, he has to be talking about believers. So he's talking about arm yourselves also with the same purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh, that he He's talking about believers who are being persecuted. This is what many good Bible scholars believe this refers to. And it's speaking of the believer who is suffering in the flesh under persecution. And then that term, cease to sin. Well, we know that Jesus never sinned, so this can't be referring to Jesus. But it ceased from sin... That term has ceased from sin is talking about the living in the lifestyle of sin before they were saved. They are no longer living in the sin before they came to Christ. But now that they are in Christ, now that we are in Christ, we have the ability not to sin. We finally have the power through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, not to sin, which now that we are new creations... Old things pass away, all things become new. So we, we have ceased to live as slaves to sin. Again, as Brother Dave so beautifully brought out in, in Romans, speaking about sin. So Peter seems to be referring to Christ's suffering in his body and the defeat of sin in believers in verse 1, and then speaking to Christians and how this reality should affect their relationship to sin in verse 2. And so, again, uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, and it's amazing that, Dave, you would bring this up tonight, that the Lord lay this on your heart. For, uh, Romans 6, look at verse 4. <clears throat> Romans 6, and, and let's, let's uh, pick it up at verse 1. And then we'll go through verse 6. Paul writes, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? He's talking about that old life, still allowing the old nature to rear its ugly head. He writes, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? See, we're already dead to sin. We're no longer slaves to sin spiritually. Okay, even though we have the old nature in us still that we've struggled with. But that old man inside you and in me, he's still there, but he's, he has been crucified on the cross. But yet, 
until we get to heaven, he's not eradicated. We don't get rid of him completely until we get to heaven. But we have the new nature in us, the new man. Or do you not know, verse 3, that all of us who had been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? And again, when he uses the word baptism here, he's not talking about water baptism. Okay? Some people take this verse and take it out of account, believe it to mean he's talking about water baptism. No, he's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when does the baptism of the Holy Spirit occur? It occurs once in the life of a believer. When did that happen? Each one of you who are believers here tonight, you've experienced that baptism. You have been at the moment of conversion when you were born again. And some of you may not remember, be able to say, have a date. I talk to many Christians who uh, say, when I ask, oh, when were you saved? And they, they can't put a day on it. They say, I really don't have a day when I walk down the aisle, you know, and and accepted Christ or prayed the sinner's prayer. But, but they know that, that, that there, there was a point in time where they, their heart changed, their mind changed, and they accepted Christ, and they believed the gospel. So then you would ask them, you would ask them and say, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? They go, yes, absolutely. Do you believe that he, he was sinless and came to die on the cross for your sins to take your punishment. Yes, I believe that. Because I would ask them this, and even it could be because many are, can, are kind of fearful because they don't have a day to, to mark on the calendar that this is the day I was saved. That, that they, they're fearful that maybe I'm not saved. But, but then I, I go over with them, and then I say, do you believe that Jesus was, was buried and then he rose again from the dead? And they go, yes, I do, absolutely. And you believe that he's the only one that can save you from your sin? Absolutely. What they are doing at that point is they are confessing their faith to me, their faith in Christ. And then I turn around and I say, you have just made that confession of faith. It happened some time ago, but you are telling me you believe it. Therefore, that shows that some time passed, you were born again, that it took place. And so that's what Paul is talking about, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When my spirit is baptized by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in me permanently when I am truly saved, Whatever that, whenever that time was. And the, and the Apostle Paul refers to it as being baptized in the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit. So then we go on, verse 4. Therefore... We have been buried with him spiritually through baptism into death, spiritual baptism through the Holy Spirit, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in what? Newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, verse 6, that our old self was what? Crucified with him. Do you see that? Notice it doesn't say is being crucified. This is the past tense. It's been done. Your old man, the old sinful you, was crucified 
on that cross, Jesus made the payment. And then when you accepted him by faith, that, that payment was applied to you. And his blood washed your sins away. And therefore you became new, a new creation. Knowing that the old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin, this old sin that is decaying, might be done away with. That we should no longer be what? There it is. Slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now when he, when he puts those words down, freed from sin, he's not talking about sinless perfection. So that you and I are living a life without sin completely. That's impossible. So, but what he's talking about here, we have been freed from the power of sin. He, Jesus Christ has freed us from the power to sin that we are no longer slaves, that we don't need to obey the old nature and, and uh, we have victory over, over the, the old uh, nature and, and the world. So it, God has given us the power to do that and that happens with when we have the mind of Christ. So let's go back here quickly uh, to First Peter chapter 4 again and uh, let's go on through here then. Uh, and then verse 2, again, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. And then we're just going to read, because of time, we're going to go verses 3 through 6. He continues on by saying, For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. See, that's, he's saying, you know, there was a time before you came to Christ, that was you. You were, you couldn't help it. That was your lifestyle. You couldn't help it. Do you remember the time past? That was plenty of time where you lived in sin, and sin, you were a slave to sin, but now you don't need to be, allow it to chain you anymore. Because you ha- if you have the mind of Christ and you have Christ living within you, you have the power not to sin. And therefore, he says, you once had those desires that the, the unsaved, the Gentiles have, right? And he goes through a list of, uh, of the lusts of the flesh, different ones there. But then verse 4, so now he's talking about, well, now you're a new creation, right? You no longer live that way. And in all this, they are surprised. Who are they? That's speaking of the Gentiles, the unsaved world out there. They're looking at you. They're looking at me. And in, in all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation, and they malign you. They malign you. How many of you remember the time you came to Christ? And I know I've talked this over, but Danny has shared his testimony with me. Um, When you come to Christ... You don't run with, the, run with the same crowd anymore, do you? Do you remember that time when all of a sudden those old friends 
just kind of started to disappear? Suddenly they didn't want anything to do with you because you weren't running with them? You weren't doing the, the party scene. You weren't doing the sin scene. You weren't doing all that you used to do with them. Suddenly you're a different person. And if you want to hear a powerful testimony, talk to Danny again. Because he's lost many, many friends that he used to know because he accepted Christ and became a Christian. And suddenly there was that transformation on the inside that Danny was a different person. And so now Danny's on fire for Christ. But what did that do for his old friends? They ran off on their own. And they knew that... And, 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 They saw that Danny wasn't running with them anymore. And so what happens? What happens when we become believers and we lose those who who don't know Christ? What, What happens? They turn on us. And maybe some of you have experienced this in your own family. That when you became saved, you have people who don't know Christ in your own family that have turned on you. Notice what he says there at the end of verse 4. And... They malign you. And they malign you. In other words, they will say all kinds of things against you. They will, they will tear you down. They will speak of you behind your back and mock your faith. And they will laugh at you. And suddenly you're being maligned. And what is that? That's persecution. And so now Peter, again, is speaking to the persecuted saints, and he's telling them, remember, you used to be like them, but now you're not. You should be living a different way, and so don't be surprised when you are maligned by those who you used to run with. It's going to happen. But the key is, it goes back to what Peter was saying, to face that and not be shaken We have to have the mind of Christ. I have to have the mind of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit that that I'm willing to suffer for Christ Jesus, my Savior. I consider myself a bondservant, a slave to Christ, no longer a slave to sin. Therefore, I am going to take a stand in my life even if the world laughs at me and mocks me and they persecute me. And so this is what Peter is trying to get across But then he concludes with trying to encourage the the persecuted saint in verse 5 and 6. But they shall give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. In other words, one day they're going to pay. The ones who are mocking you, the ones who are persecuting you, Peter's saying to them, hold strong in your faith. Don't worry about what may happen to that body. God is keeping a record book. There is going to be, they shall give an account. And that word account in the Greek is a word they used in accounting. That, uh, you know, there's there's going to be a record that's going to be pulled up. And they are going to be judged for that, what they did while on earth when they persecuted you. And so he's telling them, he's reminding them what Paul said in Romans. Remember, don't take 
then uh, don't try and get revenge on your, on, on your own strength and try and, and get revenge for someone who hates you or is hurting you or persecutes you. But Paul said, for the Lord has said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. I've got to leave it all in his hands. Whatever anybody does to me, I must leave it in his hands. And then we close with verse 6. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Again, this is a, a, one of those debated verses that scholars go back and forth on. But if you, if you look at it in its context again, here he is talking, verse 6, I, be, I believe, he's talking about believers who had to have died, okay? The gospel was preached for this purpose, and even to those who are dead, in other words, believers that have died and gone on and are with the Lord, that though they were judged in the flesh as men and that's, that uh, can be believed to be talking about uh, the persecution of the flesh by men in the world. That we, we are, uh, when we receive the gospel, persecution comes and we're being judged by the men of the world. They may live in the spirit after, we, after the ones that have died in Christ. The, where are they? They live in heaven. They're living in the spirit according to the will of God. This whole thing, let's wrap it up, that the Apostle, Apostle Peter is saying exactly what Apostle Paul was saying. He's saying, dear Christian, the way when we go out here to fight the battle is to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ. And how do I do that? I've got to live in this word day and night. This has got to be my food. And if I stop feeding on this, then I'm, I'll, suddenly I'll find my mind drifting. Suddenly the old man in me will start to, you know, throw those bad thoughts into my mind and I'll start acting the wrong way and, and, and responding, having the wrong attitudes. And oh, that we might have the mind of Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for what you've taught us again from your precious word. Thank you for showing us, revealing to us, Lord, the truth once again about how we are to arm ourselves for the battle. That the battle belongs to you. And Lord, we know that it is a spiritual warfare and the enemy is fighting against us. But Father, help us to remain strong under any kind of persecution and suffering. And Lord, may we have the mind of your son that we are willing to humble ourselves even unto death should it come to that, that we might honor you and glorify you and the world may know that we are on your side and we belong to thee. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.